This is Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from ADL's headquarters in New York. If there were ever a front line, it is Israel in the wake of the barbaric atrocities committed by the Hamas terrorist group on October 7th. When we think of ground zero for those horrific acts, places like Kibbutz Nachal Oz, Kibbutz Be'eri, and the Nova Music Festival come to mind. What the people in these places went through is almost unspeakable. Yet we must all bear witness to these crimes by hearing their stories. That is why I have asked Or Yellen to join me on today's podcast. He was born and raised on Kibbutz Be'eri and was there on that horrific day. He has come to the United States to tell his story, and of course, that of so many others, many of whom did not survive. Welcome, Or, too, from the front lines. Thank you so much, Scott, and uh, thank you for having me. Can you start off by orienting us? Where is Kibbutz Be'eri? So Kibbutz Be'eri, it's uh, just a mile and a half from the border of Gaza. It's established uh, two years before the Independence Day of Israel, 25 years ago before the Hamas, ISIS, uh, actually established in Gaza, we actually did a lot of good things together. I remember that when I was a child and my father was a farmer back then, uh, I remember that I was in his knee when he walked in the farm with a tractor. So we went with a watermelon in the shovel and we went inside Gaza. They gave us hummus and we've been a great friends before Hamas ISIS has been there. What what type of people move there? The people from the from Europe, from Iraq, uh, from the Middle East. This is a melting pot of people, and also Beriza is came from the so- socialist ideal. It means that we are sharing everything, uh, sharing laundry, cars. We have a big dining room. You can be a parliament member or a businessman or a landscaper. You put all the salary at the same equal part and then you share it equally. Everyone are equal in our community. And what brought your family there? My father is actually an immigrant that arrived from Argentina. And regarding in 76, it was the empire of the Peronder that it was very anti-Semitic. Uh, they killed a half of his family and he needed to run away. And he ran away into his homeland, to Israel. And my grandfather from my mother's side, uh, he actually born and raised in Tel Aviv. So we are five generations inside Israel. And his father came from Russia, from Galicia. They also ran away from the Russians there, from the anti-Semitism, and they came to Israel. So most of our people are actually a peace lover, people of democracy and human rights, because they feel that in their own bloods. And what was it like to grow up on the kibbutz for you? Kibbutz is amazing. The landscape and also the grass, the green, the animals, everything. It just, uh, you know, for our kids is uh, to see butterflies every day. Also to be educated for great values of the human being and and just enjoy the time, the very basic, very simple. Not, uh, I didn't have even a phone till I was 18. I didn't know what money has. The community gave us everything. We didn't need to think about outside. It's, it's like a bubble of peace and love. It was this paradise before. What 
made you first realize on October 7th that this was not the kind of rocket fire or alarms that you were used to? Everyone that's been in the Western Negev know that when there is alarm, you have just five seconds to run to the shelter. And maybe after two minutes, you can go out. And at 6 a.m. Saturday, Simchat Torah holiday, it was 15 minutes of alarm. It means that they launched thousand missiles on us and we just waited and we heard all the explosions. And when we went out to maybe just to drink a coffee, you know, to start the day, we got a message of terrorist infantry, the kibbutz. And then we realized that this thing is not the same as it was before. We have an emergency alarm squad that if five terrorists of Hamas, ISIS coming, maybe 10, we know to manage to defend ourselves for 10, 15, 30 minutes the most, and then the IDF will come. But at this time, nobody answered. The dead call of the security killed immediately, and we, we called his sister, and she told us, Arik is dead, and there are hundreds and terrorists of terrorists inside the kibbutz and just take a cover. Locked everything, put all the blink down and also all the electricity and just keep yourself safe inside the shelter. And I went inside my safe room. You cannot lock the shelter. Also, this is not a bulletproof. It's for missiles. Seven hours, all what I'm hearing from the shelter, it's Arabic. And I understand Arabic that they are laughing. They are planning how to rape, how to kill, how to destroy, how to burn. We're hearing them speaking about kids, about women, something about their missions. I was in a war. I know also how 762 Kalachnikov is hearing like. And I remember that we heard a lot of explosion of grenades and RPG and they are laughing outside. Also from the shelter, the airco is not working. It was, we had a brief silence, the electricity went down, no water, no food, nothing. And we just smelling dead from the pipe of the air conditioner and this smoke, it wasn't of, uh, it wasn't regular. It, was a, it wasn't just a building that, that, that burned. It also was people that they burned alive and you smelled it this dead, uh, that this smell will never, uh, I will never forget. So for us, always, all the time thinking the IDF will come, we will be protected, and the IDF didn't come. There is a texting group of all the, of all the members that everyone can send. 400 terrorists went inside that kibbutz. There is more than one terrorist to each household. Not just that we are not safe, we don't have any hope. And people write down, please, they take my mother, they captured her, they, now they're taking me, they're shooting on us, they burn out our house, we cannot breathe, they're shooting us RPG, we cannot hear nothing. And people just try to apply the orders to put their own numbers and also what is happening and for us, by miracle, they couldn't manage to get inside. But for me, all what I can do is to send to the special forces, my friends, please come. This is the coordination. This is where the terrorists are. But we didn't understand that there are hundreds of terrorists and that we are alive. 
still it's a miracle. Who was in the room with you? So it was my father, my mother, my my fiance, uh, Aviv, and also uh, our two dogs that we are in the safe room. It's very small room. It's uh, just for two minutes, as I mentioned before. You cannot be with electricity, none. And in that shelter, after nine hours, that the hope, it's not there. All what we're hearing is a war in Arabic. Uh, how did you come to speak Arabic? So from, from the army and also I have friends in Egypt and uh, in Jordan, and I've been dozens of time in the Middle East uh, as a civilian, and I had friends, and I wanted to speak Arabic. I also wanted to learn about this cultural. In the Islam, in the Quran, there is a great values that are also taken from the Judaism, from the Bible, that it means don't cut any roots. You cannot kill. Also, you cannot rape. You cannot arm a baby, a woman. And there is dignity to values, but not at this moment. And I wanted to search and to learn about the culture regarding their living between us. We all live together. And that's why I know also from the military, I know Arabic. How were you able to uh, survive? I mean, how, the, you said you couldn't lock the door. So uh, how did they not come into your home when they came into so many others? My father, all over the years, we've been afraid regarding both of us. We survived wars and we know that we need a doors that no matter what will happen for the much low chance that that thing will happen, we need to make a safe home that the dogs will be safe. And we saw in the cameras that they are trying to get inside our home. We just hope for a miracle. They didn't manage to get inside and they went to the house that is near us, our neighbors, and they destroyed everything and killed the peoples there. And we hear them screaming and we hear all what's going on. And for us, it's just waiting for them to come. So you feel the feeling of death, this feeling I felt before, I know how it's feeling. And when you're speaking with the much high rank people in the army and they say, we cannot get inside the kibbutz, they just put explosions all over the entrance and the exits. And at 3 p.m., nine hours after my fiance Aviv just told me, oh, if they're coming, just kill me. And that was on my mind all the time that no matter what I'm gonna lose, or I'm gonna lose my life, Oh, I will need to lose my fiance wife regarding I don't want let her suffer. For me, that was the hardest thing. At 3.30 p.m., I took a kitchen knife when I hearing everything. And by miracle, they didn't hear me. And my father just took a ice and a grape that, that, that we could have some energy. We also almost been choked by the, by the smoke when we went inside the shelter, but it was better than to be outside. I will share with you a story of my cousin that she has three young kids, three, five, and seven, and their husband was in the alarm, emergency alarm squad, but he, he didn't have the time to jump. So four of the terrorists of Hamas ISIS just got inside the home, the home, and they start to burn and to latch all the home and they start to shoot on them from the windows and they throw grenades and they uh, just launch RPG in the home. And by like, they put the kids down their beds and she hugged them down the beds, Machol, my cousin, when 
he just tried to handle with a door that they couldn't open, but this door of the shelter is not is not bulletproof, and they start to shoot, and he just put his body against the door to save his kids, his beloved kids, and after two hours of struggling, he died in the place. She, my cousin, took her pistol and she killed all the terrorists to defend her, her kids. And then she ran away from the window and she just hid with them when she left her, her bleeding husband that died in that floor to defend her kids. And this is just one story. After 16 long hours, this is the first time we start to hear Hebrew. And once we hear Hebrew, we start to excel and to breathe again. I went out from the shelter, look at the window, and I saw the K-9 units and as well special forces with tactic uniforms. And I went outside from the shelter and put my hands out and say, Shema Israel. I know that when they're going to hear that, they will know that even a terrorist will not going to and Arabs even that want to survive will not say Shema Israel, and they run immediately to us. And in a second, we went out with our dogs, without without nothing, just with uh, panties. They told me put immediately something on yourself regarding you're not gonna come back here. They evacuated us for forty five minutes between war. It does mean that they are shooting us outside, explosive. Granets, RPG, also the shooting, 7062 Kalachnikov, and this 18, 19, 20 is old kids that they are now soldiers that I've been before, the 10, 10 years before of that, they are now saving us and they are between us to the fires. And we saw them injured, died, and they evacuated us by running between homes and to see all the bodies inside that homes you understand what is the amount of these casualties and also you understand what they have done once you evacuated and we survived we start to see people that they are not with us in kibbutz Beeri, being murdered 100 people 30 people still in gaza they are being captured all families they are captured babies, kids, old people, Holocaust survivors. They didn't define between blood to blood, even between men or soldiers to our civilians. They just aimed to kill and to capture it, and they got envelopes of money for that. There are still 20 people that are in unknown situation that we back to the Kibbutz Beeri. I took part in the alarm squad afterwards to, to define the bodies and also to help to people to bring some letters from their beloved ones that they are not here anymore, from the shelters and everything. And I saw all the bleeding shelters there, uh, so many image, image and pictures from the people that I love that are not with us anymore. What we did see there is babies in the oven. It was even a woman in pregnant that they, that they put inside granite, they cut her and they put inside granite inside her. And I'm sorry for the content. You ask yourself why you survived while so many others were savagely murdered or taken hostage? I cannot ask that. If I will ask why the army didn't came at the start, why we sacrificed so much, why I survived. If I will start to ask me that, I will be in, I will be in depression.
And I think that now all what we need to focus on is the future to help the people that that survive to reclaim their lives. And also the life are strong than everything. The reality is strong than everything and the life himself. And if we're not gonna have any kind of hope to rehabilitate and also to come back from the same Chinese ideal, we will lose hope. And I really believe that what we need to do now is to restore hope. They still have hope to, to look at the future and not just to be in the past. It's something that need to give to all the world and all the Jewish nation, a lot of hope to put their heads up, everyone, and to look at the evilness and say, not anymore. And to rebuild, rebuild and change and thrive and do it for the people that we lost. And then this is the way our roles will achieve to choose life and not to choose death. What happened once you were rescued by the IDF? Where did you go? Where have you been for the past seven weeks? We are displaced from our home and we went all the community. We've been 1,200. Now we are 1,050. And we are all in one of the hotels in the Dead Sea. We just try to bring to those kids hope. We already built eight kitten garden for our 180 uh, young kids till six years old. And now we are building a seven mobile homes that will be for education, informal and informal education for the others as uh, six years old to 18 years old that they could have the same quality life kind of, that we can stimulate the same process and we can give them the best psychologist, social worker, psychiatrist, all the mental health. And we don't want volunteers regarding, we need to maintain those therapeutic, uh, this therapeutic process and that the same people that treat them now, they will be the same ones that the day after will be in touch with them, that the parents could, could breathe a bit and could excel and could uh, could have a bit energy to actually help them uh, to their kids afterwards. And, and those kids are amazingly give us hope. They are dancing, they are singing, and they have more, more hope than all of us together. And they gave us the signal that we need to look at the future and bad things happen, but just try to rebuild. We want to come back to our home. And I will tell you that already we, we have Beri, Kibbutz Beri, have the, the greatest and the biggest sprint factory facility in the Middle East. And we already bring two buses, 120 people from Beri to work in the print factory, even in times of a war to help the country. As well, there are about 30 acres of uh, of fields, groves, and crops that we try to come, and also with volunteers from all Israel and also the Jewish nation from the States and Europe that coming and help us to pick avocados and all of those. And this is give us hope to see that we are not alone as well. So I didn't realize that people were going back to the kibbutz and trying to, to work on the farm. Uh, so there's there's an effort here to uh, to maintain some connection and and keep things going a little bit. True, people they are holding the hope. People 
that they are 70, 60, 50 years old, that all their life they put in that kibbutz, that community. But you know, you can rebuild house. It's not easy. It's a lot of effort and money. You can rebuild the pathways, but to rebuild soul, to help people to rethink about open the future, it's something that is also you need to take actions and to be proactive. And that's why people come and they willing, they want to walk, they want to come back. It's not just they need to. For themselves, they say, I need to choose life. I need to do something. So yes, hundreds of people, not back to living the kibbutz. We cannot live there. And also the, 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 there are still a smell of a dead and still war in Gaza and still this is unsafe place, but you can start thinking about rebuilding. So this is the state of mind of most of the people from the envelope of Gaza. If Israel, we put their arms down, it will be second Holocaust. And if the Palestinians, we put their arms down, they will have a country and we will have them. We will have them to build a council regions, to build a new leadership, to make sure that the kids that I was five years old can come with his father to, to bring them watermelons and they will give us hummus and just to celebrate life together. We just hope that it's still achievable and we will never keep, we will never stop to keep that uh, words of hope. Your father is a prominent leader in the region. What is his role? He is amazing. He is amazing father and also my mother. And what he is doing is just to restore hope to the people and to look forward. If we will not look forward, and this is also my father said, that people need, if we, the people that survived these horrible things, will stood up, speak, and tell the world what's happening and also put our heads up and share people will not put their heads down it will give them energy to fight for the human rights and the moral role of the world or what we're thinking should be the best things to do in this 21st century for the human create creativity and and life tell us a little bit more about you what was your path what what were you doing before this attack, uh, wow. before you ended up in uh, in the Dead Sea. Yeah, it's looked like it's uh, 20 years ago, you know? <laughs> These days are like forever. Every day is like a month, and every month is like a year, and the times is just... You cannot calculate the times anymore, but I worked in education at the start after the army. For many years, I was a consultant in therapeutic village of youth at risk for all the community, for all the society, for the much micro melting pot of the of Israel, for immigrants, from people that did Aliyah, for often and widows. We just help as much as we can for that. And afterwards... What's happened to me after the injury that I understand that uh, I'm suffering from PTSD and the flashbacks and panic attacks. From your time fighting in in Gaza. Yes, yes. And I injured severely there. I've been shot uh, in my both legs and in my chest. Thank God the ceramic vest I survived. But it was very important for my rehabilitation to give back, to help all the brothers and sisters that fought for our land for all the Jewish nation land and for the balance in the Middle East, because this is what Israel doing, balancing the and restoring up to the Middle East. And for five years, I worked for Brothers for Life organization, 
in the resource development executive. This is amazing organization that's aimed to, to be the gap between what our veterans needs from the very first beginning to what the government can actually give. And surrounding this, a multiple people, amazing people, spiritual people, and a lot of people that they are, let's say, wealthy people from all the Jewish nation and not just the Jewish nation. Also Christian and Arabs just wanted to help us. We also built some startups to help the Ministry of Defense to help our people who injured during combat. And this is what I did before I start now to work for something that is much bigger than me, much bigger than us. Now I'm working for Kibbutzberry and the Western Negev communities to restore up, to rehabilitate the people, and to come back at the end with a better future. You're now in the United States for a short visit. Why, why did you come here? To raise money for the Western Negev, the immediate needs for the mental health, education, rebuilding community and restoring hope. All of those, this is a, a big gap between the needs to what actually the government can now give. And we try to make and to build a bridge that is civilian bridge uh, that it will help the government to understand more of the needs. How can the listeners support your efforts? Our Jewish nation, it's amazing. People thrilled to help. People just seek to take part in this amazing mission. We're walking through the JNF. We have a link and everyone can donate there. Uh, okay, so you'll send me that link and I will put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for that. I will send you the link. I know what's happening in here with all the anti-Semitism in the college, university, high school. And just say to all the people, all the youth that I see, encourage your friends. You're smart. You're wise. Don't let them to put down your heads and spirits. Do a great research. If someone wants to speak with you, speak with them. But if someone just put blame, it's not your fault that they are ignorant. It's not their fault. Just stay strong, keep your friends close to you, and know that the good will always beat the evilness. You have been through so much, being a soldier in Gaza, wounded, what you went through on October 7th, but you have such a, a positive energy about you. How do you maintain this drive and focus and not fall into despair? It's hard work. It's not easy work. This PTSD will always be, will be with us. To breathe, it's not mean that you are alive. And I don't want to live in that world in thinking that I'm just breathing and make my routine every day to survive. I want to make sure that my kids, your kids, all the next generation also will, will have inspiration from us. We are not a lost generation and we need to make sure that the next future Next generation will feel that we did everything, everything, everything for his security. Now we are climbing up each step slowly, 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 slowly. The hope and the positive perspective, it's what gives me the proportion to keep moving. For Yellen, this has been a devastating but important opportunity for all of those listening to bear witness to what happened on Saturday, October 7th. 2023, and really since then, I'm so grateful to you for your courage, 
and telling and retelling this awful story and bringing others into your personal pain. Thank you for this. And thank you for being on From the Front Lines today. Thank you so much, Scott, for giving me that stage to speak. And thank you as well for all what you are doing in the ADL. Let's look to the future. Thank you so much for your time. That concludes today's special podcast, which for the foreseeable future will bring the stories from Israel to a broader audience. As part of my work to fight anti-Semitism and all forms of hate as ADL Regional Director in New York and New Jersey. And thank you to you, the listeners who tuned into this From the Front Lines podcast. If you are moved by what you have heard, please share this podcast. These stories must be heard. If you are not already a subscriber, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Front Lines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on X, Threads, and Instagram. My X handle is at Scott A. Richmond. My Instagram and Threads handle is at Scott underscore ADL. And our hashtag is fighting hate for good.